to the dignity of women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization, I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Joining me today is Sister Veronica Mary and Sister Mercy of the Sisters of Life. The Sisters of Life was founded in 1991 by Cardinal John O'Connor as a response to the culture of death. Through their vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, the sisters strive to be a sign of divine love through their unique charism to protect and enhance the sacredness of human life. Thank you, sisters, for being here with me. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for inviting us. My first question is, how did the Sisters of Life come to be, and why was there a specific need for a religious order dedicated in a special way to life? Hey, well, as you said in the introduction, Kimberly, uh, Cardinal O'Connor actually prayed for five years uh, about this because he was uh, sensing the Holy Spirit was knocking and inspiring him to found a new religious community. And everyone he asked said, right now, you know, so many religious communities exist already in the church. Why now and why this? And he said he's been feeling like certain demons can only be driven out through prayer and fasting, and the consecrated witness of a woman's religious community living out a life of prayer and fasting with a particular charism for life, uh, he felt was uh, deeply needed in, in, uh, during this time in our history and in a response to the culture of life. So he followed through. He actually put a want ad in Catholic New York, and that was picked up all over the country as in an article that he wrote, Help Wanted Sisters of Life. And lo and behold, people began to write and said, I'm interested. And uh, and I think uh, he probably said, uh, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, probably, when he got the response. I'm sure people were shocked by that, though. A You know, in a time of a lot of confusion with yes. contraception, yep. abortion, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, you know, the Catholic Church... It's like people knew that they were against these things, but saw a lot of Catholics that weren't really practicing. And so I think there was a lot of confusion as to whether the Catholic Church still really believes those things or have they evolved with the culture on their view. And then suddenly, bam, here comes a whole entire religious order that says we stand for life, you know, and it's like, well, I guess that clarifies things, you know, so I'm sure that was... uh, very telling to the culture and still probably and today. still, you know, I think, and it was just really part of the whole idea of a new evangelization is that, you know, the message hasn't changed, but the culture today needs to hear it perhaps differently and in a new way. Yes. And so by actually a witness of someone who's living a, a radical life, a committed life, it makes other things possible, that being one. Right, right. And I think it's really an an amazing gift, the gift of the habit. And for example, I was living in inner city Philadelphia last year, and we really experienced kind of um, a heavy sense of a lack of morality in the area that we were living in, in the culture. But little children would like literally reach through fences to try Mm -hmm. to touch us. Wow. And we had a real experience of the gift of chastity and how it pours out into the, the places that we walk, that we stand in, that we live in, and that, that innocent heart that longs for that truth of lived morality, that truth of these gifts that Jesus taught us, um, 
it, this, the habit and the public witness of a sister really speaks to that. And we experienced it really profoundly with children. Um, but they, they, it was just a funny, it happened three times in one week that children wow. rushed through a fence to try to touch us. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that's very true. Like the culture aches for that truth that it knows deep within. Yes. Um, kind of now more than ever. That bride of Christ, I know my children, I remember them saying um, when they were a few years younger, is that Mary? Yeah. You know, right. and it's that same oh, kind of yes, thing, that exactly. innocent question, like, yeah. is that yeah. Mary? Is Are that there Mary? a lot of Marys? Right. You know, what's going on here? And I actually heard one of your sisters last year in Arlington, Virginia, speak, and she was telling a funny story about working with children in um, her convent in New York and saying how one of the little girls was trying to understand the idea of a bride of Christ. Yes, right. And she said, well, in a, you know, a special way, we are, you know, brides of Christ and trying to explain it to this girl. And she's like, wait a minute, he chose you. Right. And she said, you know, she just was like, well, it's a mystery. Yeah, you know? so exactly. I just got such a kick out of that. Like this little girl really grasping it yes. and thinking, yeah. hold on. Exactly. What? You? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, well, we that's humility that right too, there. Right? <laughs> exactly. Sisters, could you each tell us briefly how you came to discern the Lord's call to religious life in your journey and how that call led you to be a sister of life? It's <laughs> a loaded question. Sure. <laughs> it's great. No, we love testing of his mercies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, I was working. I worked for a Catholic women's organization and had a good group of friends and kind of a fun social life. But I was always hungry for more. And I, I didn't understand that there was a deeper calling within. I just knew that I was never satisfied, um, even with many good things around me. And so priest I had been talking to really challenged me to more time of silence and prayer. And I was like, I'm busy. I work for the church. You know, I didn't have time for that. Um, but from that deep hunger that nothing was satisfying me, I accepted his challenge. And in, in that place of taking time with silence with the Lord and in a real way for the first time, opening my heart to hear his invitation, to hear his voice in a new way, um, I experienced the call to his heart. To give, like the reason that so much was unsatisfied in my heart was because he was asking for all of me with him. Um, that in my experience with the Sisters of Life happened. Um, I, I still thought that meant in marriage when, when he was speaking these things. Um, but I visited the Sisters of Life and one of my friends from college um, was actually in a Sister of Life. And so I visited her when I was out in New York for work. Um, and for me, I had a very powerful experience with the Sisters, just understanding for the very first time that religious life and Sisters of Life, as they lived it, was this love relationship. And I kind of thought, I don't know what I thought about what religious life was, but I didn't understand that it was a loving relationship. And so I was so moved by the witness of the sisters that I saw and how deeply in love I experienced in being with them and talking with them and laughing with them, um, that I was moved for the first time to open my heart to religious life. And very quickly, Jesus showed me so much of what he'd been preparing my heart for. And so um, about a year and a half later, I entered the Sisters of Life. Now she's happy Sister Mercy. <laughs> yes, she is very joyful. I can mm-hmm. see the joy. Yes, for me, um, I entered uh, a while. I've been in 19 years now. And uh, when I, I didn't know the Sisters of Life existed, I didn't even know how restless I was inside. I always had a sense I'm made for more, 
and, and the world wasn't satisfying with Sister Mercy, wasn't satisfying me. You know, was, I, had, I lived a very normal life for, you know, a professional woman and uh, working in the world as a nurse at the time. And, uh, but it took me walking into a church in January of 1993, uh, having never really been involved in the debate of the pro-life movement or been on a march or anything really, and the priest was speaking about abortion in a way that was very fatherly and, and just kind of talking to his children about the culture and what was happening. And for whatever reason, God chose that day and those words to cut through me like never before. He opened my mind and I began to think, oh my gosh, not that I had a vocation, but that what am I doing? And so I joined the pro-life committee, not knowing what that meant. And we prayed the rosary at Evelyn's every Saturday or something. <laughs> That's it. And then from there, God just took it. And I, I kept saying, well, after a couple of weeks, I said, I think there's more for me. Which led me into a, a whole other path of adoration and prayer and many desires that came up. And then uh, we went to see, meet the Sisters of Life on a retreat in 95. And just meeting them, I thought, there's hope in <laughs> the church, you know. <laughs> And I just felt very drawn to them and uh, just was amazed at their joy and their easiness to be with and, uh, you know, their, their optimism for the, for the world and for the culture and for the church. And I left there with just such joy. And uh, then it took a couple of more years for me to even entertain the thought of a religious vocation that God could be calling me. Um, but I knew in my heart uh, all I longed for was prayer more and more and less and less of the world. Um, and so I, with the spiritual director's guidance and help, um, began to seriously discern. And here I am, 19 years later. <laughs> beautiful. And your voices are so needed, this countercultural mm -hmm. witness, mm -hmm. because we live in a culture that tells us we will die of virginity. You know, that's mm -hmm. actually a possibility of mm -hmm. dying yes. of that. And, you know, as young people, I think you really have this sense that, you know, there's not a sacredness to that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when you see sisters and priests um, signing up for this, it's really, it makes you turn your head. It makes you scratch your head. It mm -hmm. makes you wonder. You have to ask questions. You have right. to know more. Mm -hmm. It either encourages you or bothers you. Mm -hmm. There's something, you know, you can't just say shrug your shoulders. Mm -hmm. There's something that you need to know about right. it. So, um, and then each of you has a unique name. Did you choose your own name? Prayer? Did it come through prayer? Was it chosen for you? How did that mm -hmm. kind of fit your Sure. Um, well, it comes through prayer. We in our community we pray and discern, and then we speak with our mother superior about it. Um, and for me, I was praying. I had no idea what God was going to do, um, and He really put mercy on my heart. And I thought that He was just inviting me to pray deeper with that grace and that gift. Um, and then one day I realized He was saying it as a name, and I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> um, but in a very real way, at the heart of our charism is this deep mercy. And this way that God looks at each of us um, with this unfathomable mercy. And I was experiencing that, that gift of my own soul being looked at that way. And knowing, you know, as we, we lay down our lives that others might live. And that this is the point of mercy that it's 
it's greater than sin, it's greater than weakness, but it's greater even than death. And, um, and when I experienced that and praying with John Paul's writings, especially on mercy, um, realizing like that's what God's calling me to be, who, who he made me to be. And, um, and then in my own kind of natural tendencies to try to handle things on my own or, you know, I'd lived for a long time in my own little business life um, to, to realize the surrender of mercy, that it, it requires calling out for help and asking him to be my savior. Um, and so knowing that when I heard Sister Mercy all the time, I would hear that, that true invitation and respond in the way that I was made to respond, um, to call out for mercy. So then um, I realized it was true. He was calling me. <laughs> and then my full name is Sister Mercy Marie. Um, so in a particular way, under the mantle of Our Lady of Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how in her particular way as mother, but very mercy. Um, to reveal to mankind the love that Christ came to give. That was kind of her particular mission. Um, and, and knowing that as the heart of a woman, like to reveal this truth that is Jesus' love, but and very specifically as a sister, to stand in that place with her. So, Sister Mercy Marie. <laughs> yeah. Sister Veronica Mary. Well, for me, I think God had this name in his heart for me for a while before I even entertained the thought of a religious vocation because as a nurse, I can remember just responding to lights going off on the floor, you know, and I worked intensive care for a while and going in and especially, you know, caring for patients who were unable to really even wipe their face or anything like that. You're caring for them. And I used to think of her, you know, Veronica, but without knowing why or anything, it wasn't until years later that when I entered and was praying about a name, um, you know, I said, wow, Veronica keeps coming back to me, but I want to think about this name. What about St. Raffaella or <laughs> Gabriella or something? And um, those would pass, but Veronica kept coming, and then I prayed about it, and it just stayed. And I thought to myself, it really was what I wanted to be as a sister and felt like the Lord was asking of me was just to console him in the culture and to really see his face in, in everyone I met and also to imitate her, her boldness, you know, in the midst of a, a culture that can often be quite in opposition to what you want to do and to, to the goals of our Lord. So, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> and sisters, Catholics and Christians in general receive a lot of criticism for the perceived notion that they care more for the unborn than the mother. The Sisters of Life, however, minister in many ways to the mother, both of unborn, born, and aborted or miscarried babies. Explain how you love and serve them both. Mm-hmm. Well, it really is like, for example, when we meet any woman at all, whether she is pregnant and frightened and confused in our visitation mission, or pregnant and in need of a place to stay, a home, so she can flourish under her own right and prepare for motherhood, or here in our Hope and Healing mission where women come to us who have chosen abortion and who are suffering and and want to find hope and healing. And we feel that um, when we address this woman in her core, in her motherhood, no matter where it is, even if she's already made a choice, um, 
that's what resonates with them and helps them to choose um, to be a better mother. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's helping women to find their own heart and um, to claim that heart, the heart of a mother. And so, yeah, in many ways we do that just by loving, <laughs> loving them. And then they can unfold and discover themselves without any constraints put on them by the culture. I think that's a special mercy, too, um, for women that have chosen abortion and then are suffering after because, in a way, um, as far as society would see it, there's really no problem anymore. You know, where is this hurt coming from? I don't see anything. I don't see any reason to complain or be upset. There's really no longer a problem. Right. So so what is... What's the need for mercy, really? Mm-hmm. You know, so in one sense, if you're a mother juggling all these kids, people can look at you and say, oh, my goodness, you poor thing, like, good right. for you, or, wow, you're really struggling. But a woman who's carrying abortions does not wear that mercy on her sleeve or that need for mercy or that wound. She's not wearing it on her sleeve or anything like that. So um, I'm sure that that is very unique. Well, culture, the culture or society at large will not validate her feelings, you know, of, of anger and confusion or guilt or shame. Her, her, she's petrified of judgment, feeling rejected. And I think when she encounters someone who is not judging, but inviting, not rejecting, but welcoming her, uh, the healing begins there. The, the, the willingness to uh, then be okay with accompanying uh, us to accompany her on a journey toward hope. Yeah, there's hope for me. And perhaps even healing. We know in God. So maybe the first time experiencing that authentic love. Exactly. It's what it, what it is for me. Right. The love of God and the love of God through a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in all our missions, too, a word we use a lot is accompaniment. Um, and it's that place of being with another. So in our visitation mission where women are afraid and at a point of fear, it's just being with them in that place. So I, I was with somebody once and she said, do you try to convince them to? And I said, no, we're right there with them. And sometimes for the first time, being someone to listen to what they're really concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when we, have, we carry so much deep in our hearts. And sometimes there's no place for that or we feel there's no room in the hearts of others for the concerns. And so part of our role as sisters and the mother and the spiritual motherhood that we live with the women that we serve is to be that, to have enough space in us and in our hearts as we receive another, that she has room to share what she's most afraid of. And, and sometimes even just speaking it out for the first time, right. she hasn't even been able to articulate it yet because there's been no room for it around her. And, um, and then to discover her own strength as she's received, as she's loved. Um, we will witness so many Miracles, like really, Jesus raises people from the dead. Um, That we've seen, right? It's like we could tell these stories forever. But this truth that, especially the woman's heart, when she knows she's loved, she can do anything. Right. Um, She can run free. (laughs) It's like people want to want to hear what the agenda is, or what's Mm -hmm. the plan, or something. And really, the plan is just to love. Yeah. Just to, to, like you said, accompany. Just 
getting the image of um, the Archangel Raphael the Raphael, company, exactly, and today being exactly the guardian angel. It happens very subtly, but yeah. in the road of a company, a woman begins to trust. Trust. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what has been one of the most surprising things that you have personally learned through religious life and this particular ministry? God's mercy. <laughs> on both counts. <laughs> right. Have you discovered something about yourself um, that you didn't realize was there or something about others that you didn't realize until you were deep into the mission of the sisters? I think, I think for me, Gosh, you know, it's like you think you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you begin, you know, religious life. And then at the end of Novitiate, you think, okay, now, now I'm getting to know myself. And then 19 years later, it's like, I've even begun. To, <laughs> That's marriage, to, to too. Understand I'm like, this mission. I have a grasp of who right. I am until I get yes, married. Exactly. I'm like, I have no idea who I have this no idea. person is. <laughs> you know, and... Um, and you're constantly presented with the mystery of yourself. It's like, okay. And I think the Lord's, the way the Lord thinks is so much bigger, and of course better, than, than anything we could imagine, that um, he can't give it to us all at once. It's a little bit at a time, and as our life changes, and we experience life's joys and disappointments, sorrows, and, and, and real tragedies and losses, um, only through turning to him do we know how to respond. I don't know who I am anymore. You know, at this phase now, or, you know, as women age, you know, now they enter new phases of life. And life itself can be so hard that um, you're constantly rediscovering yourself. And I think it's only turning to the Lord. That's, I think, what I've learned. Uh, I know so little about this mystery, not only of myself, but the person in front of me. I don't know. You have to tell me what, what, how to see this person, the situation. And I think if I've learned anything as I get older, it's just open yourself to the spirits working in and through you. And give him permission and um, to enter into each person I meet with no agenda. Mm-hmm. But just an openness and a receptivity to the gift that this person is for me and in and of herself. And, um, yeah. I often pray, you let know? me see this person and love this person as, as you, you do. do. Not as I plan. do. Because what a beautiful plan. either I don't yeah. understand right. this person, right. maybe yes. I feel this dislike or yes. whatever it is, it's not of the Lord. Right. And so I need... His eyes to yes. be able to see the person in front of me and myself sometimes, you know, so like, I do not like who I'm right. seeing revealed as a wife or as a mother. This is right. not a good person, you know, so I had none of these problems when I was single. <laughs> no, I think I would second everything you just said, but in a very real sense, mercy, I think, um, obviously it's my name, so I think about it a lot, but, um, I don't know. It's like, he's, it's so amazing, the, the truth of his limitless love. And I think just 
the gift of religious life and just time carved into our very being that we have more time to be with him. He just constantly reveals more of that truth. Um, I don't know. I just think of like all the different attributes of God, his kindness, his love, his tenderness. Like every day he can just be more tender or I just had like my annual retreat. You just kind of all of a sudden you step back another year and you say like, what have you done in your kindness to us? Like even it was like the night before my retreat, one of my sisters and I were just talking about all the ways God was kind to us this last year. And, um, and tenderness is one of my favorite words, just thinking about his tenderness. And that's, it's so much more that he desires to give us if we would open our hearts to him. And so I think I've been surprised at just how wonderful God is. Yeah. But that, that truth that when we, we, we witness so much of his love in the hearts of others and our missions, um, it's really just astounding. So I think I'm, I'm constantly in awe of how powerfully he works in souls and my own included and the, the gift of witness that he lets me see in others. And that word that you said, tenderness, I was just reading the other day how if we don't allow tenderness anymore in our culture, then we take that part of God away. You know, our ability to see that portion of God, it become, we become blind to that portion. And, um, and so that's just a beautiful word. And I think that just displaying that ability every year to look at the good things that have happened, because I think often there's just a tendency as human beings to reflect on the negative, like, oh, this happened and that happened. And sure, you could grumble about a million little things, but to focus on the good and the things that the Lord has done, I think that requires work and effort and, you know, force of the will. You can't, if we just leave ourselves to our own devices, we will gravitate towards all the negative in our life. Um, And then we live in an age when there is a lot of confusion about what it means to be a woman. There is a great lack of love and respect and confusion over how to become worthy of these things. How does the outward sign of your call to be bride of Christ influence women and show them how they can be worthy of love? Mm, That's beautiful. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I think there's a, the gift of the habit is uh, is an outward sign is the, one of the first things. And the, to your comment earlier about the veil, um, that there is a reminder and a presence in the world um, as we walk about that people do have a sense kind of instantly um, that we stand for these things of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and um, and the, this true place of relationship with the Lord. And I think that's our, you know, our first call is to give glory to God and that our lives might bring other people to think about God. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've experienced that in so many little ways in the subway or different places, you know, people will make the sign of the cross as you pass or yeah. Yeah. college can straighten up a little bit. Hello, sister. Right? Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Probably the, people are pulling down their yeah. shirts a little yeah. bit. Just yeah. shirts a little bit. <laughs> so true. Yes, I can imagine. Um, but I think in a deeper sense, um, not being afraid, there's a, there's a joy. Like my heart is on the outside. You know what I think about most what I'm most about when you just look at me as a sister, um, it gives us that freedom to be able to share with people about the love that's in my heart. And I think that's when the gifts of bride is a bride is always talking about what she loves and who she loves and how much she loves him. And the truth um, of being a sister is this freedom uh, and acceptance in a certain sense, like to be on the subway, to be anywhere and to share, you know, sisters on a plane earlier this week um, (laughs) and just sharing with people about the Lord and how much he loves them. And, and bringing that up to the forefront in our missions, um, 
being able to serve women in that, to, to share in that place, um, to reveal the love that God has for others. Mm-hmm. And, and so in a very real sense, I think as I live, the gift of bride is to the privileged place of sharing his love and, and getting to live that out in the world. You're in a perpetual honeymoon, yeah. I think. And I bet, sister, you yeah. never are able to go on a plane without talking to the person next to you. It's never just a quiet ride. Is well, it? interesting. Um, you know, you're walking down the aisle of the plane, and I think there are some people that are like, please don't sit near me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I heard she doesn't sit near me. Probably. And uh, you end up getting into a seat. And this past uh, flight, I just was down in Nashville over the weekend. and. Um, there was a big Philadelphia uh, Eagles game okay. down in Tennessee. And uh, they were playing that. And Philadelphia fans, I didn't know this, but they're they're quite uh, loyal. Okay. So the half the plane was Philadelphia. Oh, my gosh. So I you might have gotten I the didn't wrong get a plane, until the back seat in the plane. And I think, I think that they had just about um, had all their party plans. So there was a party section. Oh, no. So I think that I, they felt <laughs> like they were in church just for a short time. And I sat down. But by the end, we were all talking okay. about things they never dreamed they'd be talking oh, about wow. over their Bloody Marys. I don't right. know. <laughs> I, I mean, it kind of takes me that, so what do you do? Yeah, right, right, <laughs> like, right. But, you know, they got into some serious conversations to the point where, you know, you leave them with miraculous medals and litanies of trust. Wow. And, and uh, I gave one woman a rosary and, and she opened her heart and started to share yeah. all about her life and her daughter. And, and they were asking for prayers. So I, like sister, I mean, I think that is one of my greatest joys is that, you know, instantly you stand for something and, uh, you know, when you are in a particular situation like this on the plane, you know, people feel I can talk, I can talk to you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can, I can go deeply with you. Walk into church here on McLean Avenue, you know, beep, 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 sister, pray for me. Oh, <laughs> Walking down the streets of New York, you know, I mean, you're kind of a step into people's lives without, um, you know, and they kind of trust you automatically. So, you know, they know that you're, 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 you're reaching out and that you will pray for them. And probably seeing the smiling faces, because I know a lot of people have this idea (laughs) from when they were kids of like this angry nun who was going to smack them with the ruler. So many people say that. To see like. None smiling oh, and joyful mm-hmm. and gentle. It's probably a lot different. I know when my grandparents yeah. talk about the nuns, there yeah. was none of oh, those no. words come up. Well, you I know? didn't have them either. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> so I think I it's, know what they mean. it's refreshing <laughs> for them to say, "Oh, no, are they yeah. Catholic nuns?" Oh. Or whatever, you know, so you guys are also healing inside the church as well, not just outside. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe yes. people's understanding mm-hmm. of that. You know, and. Sure. and the, the beauty and the gentleness of that as well. I had a fun story. We went, yeah. two sisters, we went to go play basketball. Um, so we had our ball with us and we walked into the courts and there was a, a large group of adults and it was the middle of the day. It was strange. And a lot of the women came running over to us and one woman said, are you here to play basketball or to bless us? We would love to pray with you. Yeah. Um, and actually there were uh, an entire group in meth rehab. Um, and they were out for an outing, and they so desired prayer. And we had this powerful drop the basketball. So they wanted prayer. And they really wanted prayer, and uh, it was so raw and so real, and they were so hungry for God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he used that. Like, that yeah, so wherever you are, to exactly. draw people to prayer. Right. 
Wow. So you play basketball in your habits as well. They they know everywhere you are. That's where you are. Ride, ride. Yeah. There you are. And I had had a friend who had a real fear of flying, but she had to fly Mm -hmm. for certain things. And she said, well, um, I've, I've asked the Lord and I feel that he will honor this, that I'll never die before making my final confession. So I know I'm good. And then one time she got on the plane and a priest sat next to her and she said, the plane's going down. (laughs) It didn't. She was fine. But it was just like, I mean, her anxiety when she's, I I was thinking of that when we were saying, don't sit near me. me." She was like, and then sit next to her like, Lord, what are you trying to say? You know, like I better get my confession started now. But, um, so yes, I'm, it's, I can't even imagine everywhere you travel, the witness that it must be, and especially to the children. So, Oh, the children love you. And we're, again, with, with the whole witness of joy, in each of our rooms, Cardinal O'Connor from, the, from day one said, in each of your rooms, it, there is a sign, and it says there are no sisters of life without joy. Mm, and the, and the Lord has given us that, um, that gift, I think, to, to be a witness of joy. And the sisters are also known for roller skating. Is that right? <laughs> that wouldn't be me. So bringing joy to every area, oh, yeah. every avenue, yeah. and every sport. That's right. I love that. Well, I want to thank Sister Veronica and mm-hmm. Sister Mercy for being with me today. Thank you for your vocations, yeah. for sharing your stories, for your witness. We really enjoyed having you, and um, we will continue to pray for you if you pray for us. We sure will. Absolutely. Thank you.